I uh, think we should be able to get the first slide up. Well, the first slide says things like lost, confused, unsure, perplexed, (laughs) bewildered. So much so it doesn't appear at all. (laughs) We all want to know God's purpose in our lives. Maybe in terms of relationships, career choices, where we live. But how, how can we know God guiding us? Not just leaving things to our own decision, but allowing God to direct. Are we any nearer, Bill, getting? We all face challenges and choices at, at different times in our lives. What can we learn from the Bible? Who in the Bible can we look at and say, perhaps that's a model that will apply for me? We might look at Gideon, who you will remember put out a fleece. Or the Israelites leaving Egypt, led by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Or perhaps we would like an angel an angel that led the Israelites as they continued in their wanderings, or the angel that led Peter out of prison. There's also what I've called negative guidance. Think in a few minutes about Paul, who was motivated to take the gospel to those that had never heard it before. And he knew that there was an area of inland, what we would now call Turkey, called Bithynia, where no one had heard the gospel. He determined to go there with his companions, but found the way was blocked. What can we learn from finding our way blocked by God? Or perhaps our model should be be Jesus himself. And towards the end of this morning, we'll think briefly of Jesus who, before choosing his twelve disciples, spent a night in prayer. But we'll start with Gideon. Gideon was a timid farmer. He was hiding, hiding in a wine press, threshing corn. Well, that's not the obvious place to thresh corn, but he was living at a time of oppression by people called the Midianites. And an angel appeared and greeted him with what seemed, must have seemed crazy words. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Here was this timid farmer, hiding, trying to do it secretly. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. We were going to have the uh, the words on screen, but unfortunately we're... We were. It's showing on there, Bill, but not on the screens. Fine. Okay. First reading I'm going to read then is from Judges chapter 6 and verses 12 to 14. Judges chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. 
When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Uh, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But, and I can hear him stammering here, but, but if the Lord is with us, why, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that the ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now you might think that that was pretty clear guidance. An angel of the Lord appeared and said, Go! You can't get much more direct and clear guidance than that. But Gideon knew he wasn't a mighty warrior. He wasn't an Israelite leader. He was a farmer and a farmer's son from an insignificant clan of one of the minor tribes. And he was living under harsh oppression by a foreign power, the Midianites, the Isis of his day. They were terrible, ruthless, murderers. And his instinctive response, God, if you're really with us, why has all this happened? Gideon's second response was to doubt his suitability for the job in hand. And verse 15, But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. Again, the clearest guidance and direction you might ever have. But Gideon still needed reassurance. His third response was to ask for a sign. Gideon replied, verse 17, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. So Gideon, we read, prepared a meal. An angel touched that meal and the flames flared from the rock and burnt up the food. Gideon built an altar And that night the Lord met with him again and gave clear instructions on how Gideon should begin the task of restoring Israel. And then we read that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the tribes of Israel to follow him. So far, so courageous. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he blew a trumpet. But then Gideon seems again to lose heart. Verses 36 to 40. Gideon said to God, If, if you will save Israel. What a thing to say to God when God had so clearly said, Go and do this. If, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised. Look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground around is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. 
Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and all the ground around be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Was Gideon asking for guidance? Not really. He'd already had clear guidance from God. What Gideon wanted was encouragement. Or perhaps an excuse to say, God doesn't really want me to do this. Perhaps sometimes when we're looking to God for guidance, that's our attitude. We want encouragement. Or we want to be able to say, no, God wouldn't really ask me to do that. Put yourself in Gideon's sandals for a minute. Perhaps you've got your future mapped out. Relationships, a good well-paid job, things that your ambitions you've had for for years and you, you can see coming to fulfillment and then you get a nagging conviction that God is calling you to do something different. In the words of a book that I well remember being influenced by as a young man, Michael Griffith's book, Give Up Your Small Ambitions. Give up your small ambitions. Maybe God wants you to do something that's going to involve full-time service for Him. So you offer God a deal. If there's thunder tomorrow, I know that you want me to do that. Tomorrow comes and there's an almighty thunderstorm. What do you do? Perhaps like Gideon you say, well, perhaps that was just natural. That's what oh, it always happened if I put a fleece on the ground, it's going to be wet. So you have to have another test and another test. God, I've asked you to prove it, but I want you to do something more. Are we really looking for guidance? Or are we looking for an excuse to avoid God's will for our lives? What about the Israelites on their exodus from Egypt? Exodus 13 Verse 17, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that leads through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. And then verse 20, the Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Wouldn't it be great if every time we wanted guidance, we could see an unmissable sign in the sky. It's there all the time. It's there during the day. It's there at night. God didn't give the Israelites a fast track into the promised land. What he did give them was a very clear sign of his presence with them. 
day by day, night by night. There was a major trading route from Egypt north to Canaan going on towards Damascus. Isn't it strange that God didn't lead his people by the direct route? Instead, he guided the Israelites by the best way, not by the shortest route. It's the same for us. Why does God sometimes seem to lead us in confusing directions? He wants us to learn vital lessons along the way. God gives us his word and his spirit to guide us. He leads us lovingly in small steps. Steps that we can manage knowing that we are fearful, that we are hesitant, that we are perhaps easily discouraged and look to turn back. But he doesn't always lead us in the direction that we expect. But he does lead us towards his purpose for our lives. Exodus 23 verse 20, See, I'm sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I've prepared for you. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. The Israelites had a tour guide. All they had to do was to trust and obey. Wouldn't life as a Christian be easy if we had an angel leading us, protecting us each and every day? Would it? Jesus said to his disciples, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus promises to show us the way. He promises not just to show us the way, but to be the way. But we so often hold back. He's promised the Holy Spirit to be with us. His victory in spiritual battles. But we want instant success and are not prepared for the long haul. So often, like the Israelites, we can end up settling for mediocrity, for wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, it seems, when the Lord wants us to experience more of his power and might. But We'll come back to that in a few minutes' time. Thank you, Dad. Sometimes God's guidance comes as we find our way blocked. And that can be very confusing. What are we to make of it when we come up against obstructions to doing something that we feel is really a good thing to do? Paul and Silas were on a groundbreaking missionary outreach when they found their plans blocked. We read of it in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. It's page 1111 in the books, um, but uh, it's also, I don't know if it's legible on the screen here. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. 
During the night, Paul had a vision for a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul and his companions had good intentions. Paul wanted to preach the word of God throughout Asia. And that was in terms of what we would now think, think of as modern-day Turkey. To share the good news of Christ with the unreached people in Bithynia. Surely that was a good thing. Surely that was what God had commissioned him to do. But they found their way blocked. And they had the spiritual discernment to recognize that it was the Holy Spirit that had closed one door, only to lead them through another door into even more strategic and fruitful ministry. It opened the way to the gospel to come to Europe. Is that just a Bible story? Things don't really happen like that in our experience, do they? But I wonder if sometimes you felt that you should do something, that you should say something, you should go somewhere, only to find that nothing has worked out. If so, you might know something of how Paul and Silas were feeling. A bit over 40 years ago, Rosemary and I felt that God was calling us to be prepared to serve him in Africa. I'd recently qualified as a doctor. Rosemary was in training as a midwife. And we applied for a three-year hospital training program that we felt would equip us with the basic skills that we would need to be somewhere where there wouldn't be other resources around. We received a positive response to my application. And everything seemed set when a letter arrived from Kenya asking us to consider going to take over the running of a large church hospital in just three months' time. At that time, I'd only been qualified for, for 12 months. I'd just done two junior hospital jobs. It clearly was a non-starter. I didn't have the experience. We didn't have the financial support and backing or prayer support to go. But prayer takes on a greater urgency and intensity when you're really put on the spot. And we prayed and within one week we received three letters. First letter said, we're terribly sorry we've decided that this training post is no longer going to run. Secondly, we got a letter from Tear Fund saying, if you're happy to go and run this hospital in Kenya, we'll provide the financial support for you to go. And thirdly, we got a letter from a church in a place we'd never heard of called Barking, and I apologize if any of you are from Barking, <laughs> and a church with the improbable name of St. Erkenwald's, it turns out that St. Erkenwald was a very early bishop of London in the 7th century. But uh, this, when we got this letter, was back in the 
uh, early 1970s and we didn't have internet, we certainly didn't have Google, so we couldn't find out anything about St. Erkenwald. Anyway, we went to the church and they said, we've never prayed for missionaries before, but we believe that God's calling you to go to Africa and we want to pray for you. Well, we felt, well, perhaps God has closed one door and very clearly marked another door open. But realistically, that's not everyday guidance. That doesn't happen to us every day. And I'm sure it doesn't happen to many of, of us here on a regular basis. I don't know anyone who's seen a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I don't know any prisoners who, like Peter in Acts 12, have woken in the night to find an angel leading them to freedom. It seems that perhaps it's when God's calling us to make major changes, major life choices, that we sometimes find him confirming it in unmistakable ways. But how can we find guidance that we can relate to in our normal, everyday life? That's what I want to come back to in the third section in just a minute. Thank you. Jesus shows us his way. We read in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. Before every important event in Jesus' life, he would take time off by himself and go and pray. You may have read a book called Give Me This Mountain by Helen Rosevere. It's an autobiography. She suffered terribly in the Congo in the Simba Rebellion. In 1995, we visited Nyankundi, the hospital that was founded by Helen and various other mission teams working together, built after the Simba atrocities. Our visit came a few months before further terrible genocide broke out in eastern Congo. And a few years before, many of the staff and patients at that hospital were massacred. We stayed with a godly African eye surgeon called Tony Oketi. And he shared with us that a few days earlier, the senior hospital leadership had met to discuss the appointment of an additional member of staff. Now, if we were doing that, we would probably would have looked at the different CVs of the possible applicants and looked at the uh, references and decided who was best fitted to, to the job. And I said to Tony, well, how did you choose who to appoint? He said, we prayed all night, and then we made the decision. We may not pray all night before coming to significant decisions, but do we pray at all? Do we make our decisions on pragmatic, sensible grounds? Or do we bring those sensible concerns to God in prayer and wait for Him to bring clarity and direction to our thinking. When we think of God 
and guidance. There's no right pattern. There's the example of the fleece, and the question was Gideon really seeking God's will, or did he know God's will and was looking for an excuse not to do it? There's negative guidance with God apparently closing one door to what should be, in our thinking, a good and significant ministry, but pointing us in a new direction. Major life choices need a very clear sense of God's direction and purpose. But we do need God's guidance in our day-to-day lives. Of course we do. So how will we know? I think what we need to do is to engage with God. And that's really the sort of strap line, engage with God. We need a closer daily walk with God allowing the Holy Spirit to speak. We need to read and study God's Word. Understand how we apply it. We need to spend time with God in prayer. And we should listen to advice from Christian friends. Going back in the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah, We read in Isaiah chapter 30, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And in verse 21, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. This is the way. Walk in it. Paul had a very clear goal. Do we have a clear goal? God, it's been said, is rather like a sat-nav. Firstly, you need to know what your destination is. Like the sat-nav, God knows where we are now. He knows where we're starting from. But he does give us personal choice as to our destination. Do we want to follow him? Do we want to put his priorities as our priorities? Or do we want to go our own way? Having entered your destination, the sat-nav calculates the best route. But soon you decide you know better. You know a shortcut. And so you turn off the route. And what do you hear? Not You've made a mistake, or what a daft choice, but just a gentle recalculating route. (laughs) However many wrong turns you take with God, there is still a route that he's happy to give you to bring him into a full and loving relationship with him. You can't mess your life up so badly that God won't guide you recalculating root. If like the prodigal son, come to your senses, resolve to return to your loving father. Day by day in the Christian life it may seem that we don't hear God's guiding. But it's when we drift off course. When we, in the words of Isaiah, turn to the right or turn to the left, that we hear his voice saying, no, this is the way. Walk in it. God doesn't say, you've messed up, 
so now you're on your own. I wash my hands of you. You're absolutely hopeless. No, recalculating route. God wants us to reach that final destination, that destination of a loving relationship with him. God will guide us in the big decisions of life and in the everyday if we have ears to hear. The question is, have I got my sat-nav switched on? Let's close uh, with this section and then we'll sing again. Lord, we pray that we might have ears to hear, hearts to desire to seek your guidance and your direction in our lives. Lord, we pray that day by day we might walk in the way that you have prepared for us until we reach that final destination. In Jesus' name, amen.